I'm excited about tomorrow for what it represents for Bridgeway. I met an African-American man this morning, and I said, I want you to know my spiritual father is a black man, and, and God never called me to pastor a white church. And so I'm just going to speak a blessing of diversity over this house, not that it would begin, it would just continue, you know? May we be a diverse house and look more like heaven than the South. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, no time for get to know me's. I'm just going to go for it and be pretty animated. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. A high level of the demonic is when you believe a lie that is so close to the truth, but yet it's wrong. See, the enemy realized he couldn't defeat the church, so he just joined the church. And a lot of the lies we believe don't come from outside the church. They come from inside the church. There's a reformation going on inside the church. The enemy realized he couldn't defeat the church, so he just joined it. And a lot, if not most, of the demonic lies we believe actually come from religious circles. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, they were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, I went to Boston this week to read my new book into a studio, and they told me a hundred times to read slower. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to work on it, like the sloth in that Zootopia movie. Jesus, son of David. There's a blind man begging. The Savior, the Word, is on the scene. He breaks normal custom and cries out the Lord's name. And the religious folk around him, the ones that just know how you're supposed to do it, the supposed to people, they say this to him. Many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more. If you listen to religion, it will give you a book of supposed tos. It will tell you what you're supposed to do. And most, if not all the time, it's the wrong thing to do. Some of you have become so quiet and so passive that the Lord is on the scene, but his grace has no effect in our lives because we don't know how to yell into it. You see, here's what happens. People get a prophetic word and a promise but we do not abide by the principles behind the promise and the prophetic word never comes to pass, not because that's not what the Father wants, but because we don't know how to dance with grace. All right, so Ephesians 2, 8 says, grace, you are saved by faith. It is by grace you are saved by faith. Grace is Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. It's Jesus. Grace is not a doctrine, it's a person. But faith is on my end, not his end. Ephesians 2, 8, it is by grace, Jesus, you are saved through faith. Well, which is it? Is it grace or is it faith? Yes. It's both. I'm going to make this so simple you can't misunderstand it. And this is a word to this house, to charismatics, those who believe in the gifts of the Spirit and want to walk in power. Just because the Father gives you a prophetic word doesn't mean it's going to come to pass. A prophetic word is not a promise unless I abide by the principles behind the word. Don't bother Jesus. Just stay there begging because I'm religious and I'm better than you. So instead of helping you or coaching you on how to get out of begging, I'm just going to tell you to leave the word alone. Well, the Lord loves to oppose the religious spirit. He loves it. Let's go back up here to this passage. They tell him to be quiet. Jesus stopped. 
You ever notice that in scripture, a lot of times Jesus stops based on the faith of someone else, not his own sovereignty. Sovereignty is a word means set apart. It's the most, uh, I think, at least top five most demonic concepts inside the kingdom. Sovereignty has never been uh, an ideology of control. The United States of America is a sovereign nation. We're set apart. A lot of people, see, Satan loves misconceptions. And a lot of people think sovereignty means he controls. Sovereign means he is set apart, royal, supreme, in need of no one else. There are a lot of examples in scriptures, in the gospels, where people got the Lord's attention. Woman with the issue of blood, Zacchaeus. You see, if you go and interpret the scriptures through your own mindset and don't ask for wisdom on how the Holy Spirit sees the scriptures, you actually can impose your own thought on the scripture and then be frustrated when you have a lack of breakthrough in your life on an ongoing basis. If I don't abide by the principles of the Father, then I can go a lifetime and never see any breakthrough. Even if you're given a prophetic word, that word is not an automatic that it's going to come to pass. And a lot of people get bitter when it doesn't come to pass, when actually they've even unintentionally or in ignorance opposed the principle behind the word. The code and custom of that day was you do not yell when a Jewish rabbi is on the scene. Matter of fact, we see in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, when Jesus preaches, he actually sits down. He's actually very calm. I love the Lord. He likes to push buttons. He likes to pop balloons. He loves it. Jewish people don't run. Well, don't tell that to Zacchaeus when he runs to a tree and climbs up the tree. You see, a lot of people don't see the Lord move in their lives, even in today in the new covenant. It's because we have forgotten this idea of what it means to be aggressive with him. Well, I don't want to bother the Lord. He's kind of busy. And so I'm going to be quiet and I'm just going to beg someone to get a word over me. And then maybe the Lord will heal me. He, he yells, son of David, have mercy on me. Shh. Don't you know this is the Lord? Don't yell at the Lord. Excuse me. Hey, can you have someone go get the Lord a word for me? I don't want to bother anyone. Some of you become so passive that the kingdom can't advance in your life because you don't know how to take a hold of it violently. Go go to that passage if we can, Gary. The kingdom of God is advanced by force and violent, and violent men lay a hold of it. Taken out of context, you get the crusades. Also ignored, and you see why we have so many people that don't experience breakthrough. Because the mentality is this, well, if that's what God wants for me, that'll just be what happens. Really? How do you prove that? The woman with the issue of blood got healed because she got on her knees and got to Jesus. When you want to walk in a higher level of wisdom, you will. When you want to see someone healed more than you want your next breath through your hands and not the great man or woman of God that leads the conferences, you will. You will have whatever you want in the kingdom. 18 times the Lord says, let it be done to you as you have believed. But in the age of enablement, we tend to find churches we want to snuggle up with to help us become comfortable with our own insecurities. We don't really like the message that puts anything on us. We will blame anyone and everything. We don't even know why we're offended anymore. I'm offended that I'm offended that you're offended that you looked at me and I got offended that the person that got offended at you. And our social media platforms is just how much, how offended I am. We've become so me-centric that we forget that the kingdom actually opposes most of the ideals we find through current culture because you're not supposed to yell at a rabbi Zacchaeus was not supposed to climb up the tree Jesus said in John 6 this is my all-time favorite 
He said, gather closely. I'm Jewish. I want you to drink my blood. <laughs> oh, and then when you're done with that, for dinner, I need you to eat my flesh. And it says, many disciples said, this is too hard. I can't do this anymore. If Jesus pastored a church in Greenville, there'd probably be about 20 people that attended the church. You got to be careful how we gauge success. Son of David, have mercy on me. It stopped him in his tracks. Why is the Jesus of the new covenant any different for us than he was for that man? A lot of us are given a word and then we wait on the father to perform that word when he's actually waiting on us to take a hold of that word. The kingdom of God is advanced by force and violent and violent men lay a hold of it. I'm just going to take the next two years and pray about my next business idea. Why don't you take two days? The word says my sheep hear my voice and then step out of the boat on something. But God gave me a word that my business was supposed to prosper. Well, the father says he's given you the ability to make wealth. The angel fairy's not coming with a bag of money. It's going to give you a hundredfold return. You'll get angelic revelation on what you put your hand to so that he can prosper whatever you're putting your hand to. You have to step into the word that's been given. The word is on the scene, but the blind beggar had to step into the word. The man would not have gotten healed unless he stepped into it. Son of David, have mercy on me. What's the Lord's response? Hang on a second. Get y'all's religious hands off of me. Who just said that? You say, well, you can't catch the Lord off guard. Really? Don't read the Bible. The Lord did not tell Zacchaeus to pay all those people back. He never commanded it. I think he caught the Lord off guard. He climbed up in a tree. The woman at the well, I don't think was an ordained moment from the foundations of the world. I think it happened. I think that the father literally gave Jesus that assignment on the spot. There are so many on the spot moments with Jesus we miss out on because we're too proper and we're too kind and we're too nice. We're too nice. You're too nice. I don't want to give the lady a word at the grocery store. What if I get the word wrong? I don't want to bother anyone. We become too nice too nice and the enemy doesn't bother us when we're too nice the enemy is paranoid of a person that says the kingdom of god is advanced by force and violent and violent men lay a hold of it i'm just going to take the word that's been given and if jesus is on the scene i'm getting out of the boat now if this man screams son of david don't pass me by and the lord's not on the scene then they're going to be like who what who are you talking to you see but peter walked on the water not because of his own faith it was because he walked on the water because grace was on the water and when his faith touched that grace then he walked if there's no grace on the water, he doesn't walk. Here's what I'm saying. You can pray all day long for another word, brother. I just need another word, brother. Take the last 10 words you've been given and, and sink teeth down into them. And then once you sink teeth into them, then the next word opens. The father's not always in a good mood about this. He's not a happy, snuggly God all the time about this. When he gives you a word, he wants you to step into it. And if you don't, after a period of time, he will find someone who will. Saul was given jurisdiction over Israel for all time. The father took it from him and gave it to David. You want to know why? God didn't like David more than a Saul. He doesn't play favorites. He will find an obedient person to dance with. God loves to dance. He likes to dance with obedient people because he's the one that leads the dance. You say, well, I don't want to dance that way. He says, no problem. I'll find someone that will dance with me this way. You say, I don't want to waltz. Well, God likes to waltz. You better learn how to waltz or you're not going to dance. Ephesians 2.8 is a dance. It's between grace and faith. And if we're not careful, the hyper-grace movement only talks about grace. And it's all about grace. What about faith? If you take faith out of the equation, which is the currency of heaven, it is impossible to please God without faith. 
If you take faith out of the equation, then you get a bunch of misdirected people who are always frustrated with God and build bitterness because he didn't move. When actually he did move, but 11 disciples stayed in the boat. Only one got out of the boat. All 12 could have been on the boat. Peter wasn't picked. He wasn't anointed to walk on water. They all were. All of them. Son of David, have mercy on me. Watch what Jesus does. He stops in his tracks. He turns back. Call him. Can we go back? Why does he say call him? Because the Lord knows that if he doesn't get you out of the boat, it'll be more on his end than your end. And when he's not on the scene with you, when he's not there, because he wasn't going to be on the scene with him, you'll lean more on everything that he did and it won't be the dance. This is why I said it's better for you if I go for than he can come. The Holy Spirit is here to teach us how to dance the Ephesians 2, 8 grace faith dance. Call him. Why did the Lord not just go to him? Call him. Because the Lord knows if he can get you moving, you'll see your breakthrough. Lord is unintentionally and intentionally sideways, backwards, forwards. He's always, him, Father, and Holy Spirit are always trying to get you to move. Always. And a lot of times we, we think that people have a high level of character. There is no character that doesn't move. Even character is moving. A lot of what we call wisdom is just stagnant unbelief. And, and we get people around them and say, oh, you're so brilliant. If you're not moving constantly, you're not brilliant. God's people have always been nomadic. Where there is no faith, there is no Christianity. In other words, get moving. This man moved, and then the Lord said, call him. Why didn't he go to him? Only one time in the Gospels does the Lord go to someone to heal him. One time. I have people come to me all the time. Would you go visit a a friend of mine and pray for them? And I always say no, because I never see anyone healed when I go. People come to me. I I, I see people get healed before they can get to me when I put my hands on them. The Lord tried to get him moved. So they call to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Jesus called you at the cross. Calvary was an invitation to come dance. I'll never forget Dawkins Middle School, eighth grade. Top three most awkward moment of my life. Um, we went to a dance. First time I ever wore a suit. And I was more nervous than a wet black cat under a ladder. I mean, I was shaking. And all the guys were on one end of the room and all the girls were on the other end and they played the song from um the movie where the guy flew on the um the aladdin um dun, 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 dun. um i think it was that song it was it was something like that i can't remember it might not have been aladdin it was something else like that and uh, it'll come to me in a second i can hear it and i remember uh looking at my date and it's just one of these deals and she stared me down and i stared her down and it was just that moment, Michael Jackson sang about it. It was my moment, man in the mirror. I finally had that moment. I was like, if I don't step forward, she's not going to dance. I was the first guy of all the eighth graders that danced with her. And I, I'm not going to lie, I became popular that week in school. <laughs> and so I was finally like, like this. And I stepped forward and she stepped forward. And I remember my buddies were like, he did it. I was squints off of Sandlot. My Wendy Peppercorn, she, that was my moment. If I, if I wouldn't have stepped, she wouldn't have stepped. A lot of people think Jesus is just going to stroll into your situation and just do everything. He did everything at the cross. He did everything at the cross. He's not coming. He's already come. My favorite part of the Mark passage, he, he told the disciples, I, he was about to pass them by. A lot of people blame a lack of breakthrough on God when he's saying, you don't know what what it means to wait on me. 
because we are waiting on God and he's waiting on us. Let me finish this and I'll go to that passage. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What saved this man? Let's keep reading. What saved him? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. I want to see. Your faith has healed you. He said, hey, Lord, uh, you're making me uncomfortable because this contradicts most all of theology I've ever heard in my entire life. Wouldn't you rather hear truth and be transformed than enable up to another warm bottle of milk that helps you just be cozy and loady bar? Well, I got a word seven years ago and it hadn't manifested. That's actually because the Father's waiting on you to move towards that word. God told me that that I was going to get a degree in so-and-so. Have you applied to any schools? No, because I'm waiting for someone, the principal of whatever school, to call me and say they got a word of knowledge I was supposed to. We have become so passive that heaven is really sincerely confused. I gave a vision last week, probably for the next five decades. You can go in the intercession chapel and pray that it manifests, or you can just take it by force. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. This word wait, those that wait upon the Lord, in the Hebrew sense, it's actually aggressive, not passive. I'll give you an example. Um, I love taking my wife on uh, date nights to downtown Greenville, really any nice city, which, by the way, we went to a nice restaurant in Boston this week. And when you're on a fast at a nice restaurant, it will test every ounce of your flesh. I'm overlooking downtown Boston and just... I've had more Perrier water in the past 14 days. It'll make a man want to snap, to be honest. And um, the waiter came the other night. Anytime you go to a really nice restaurant, when the waiter comes, a fantastic waiter will be very aggressive towards the table. What can I do for you? What do you need from me? How can I help you? How can I serve you? Because I'm your waiter. Well, imagine if waiters in restaurants acted like most Christians specifically in the Bible Belt. Here's how we define wait. The waiter would go back into the kitchen smoke his little waiter cigarette, and wait in the kitchen for you to sit there for two hours. We define wait as a Greyhound bus stop. I go to the bus stop, I wait, wait on the bus to come to me. That's not the paradigm of Isaiah 40.31. The paradigm of Isaiah 40.31 is aggressive. Simon Peter is the only one that waited upon the Lord. The blind beggar waited upon the Lord. The reason we don't see the kingdom manifest is we think waiting on the Lord is being quiet and waiting on him to come to us. He came to you at Calvary. And when you want to get out of the boat and go towards Calvary, then you'll see your breakthrough. But it's always somebody else's fault. No one notices me. Jesus Christ noticed you before you were even born, gave his life as a ransom. And now your destiny goes through Calvary, not just a prophetic word. Most people have no idea what it means to be aggressive towards the words they've been given because we just wait on them to manifest. I cannot tell you how many people I have seen healed over the years through my hands under the power of God when the first three, four, or five times I prayed, nothing happened. We don't have an idea what it means to fight the good fight of faith. There's been a few times in Haiti where I'm like, Lord, what is going on? He said, be persistent. And finally, one time to this witch doctor lady, I put my eyes on her eyes and I told, there's a legion of demons. I said, I will torture y'all if you don't come out of her. And she got set free. The first four times I prayed for her, nothing happened. Where, where have you been taught that it's normal to be passive? Just be quiet. Just be calm. Some of y'all need to say, son of David, son of David. And then you say, you're not passing me by. Some of you don't just need to say, excuse me, I'm sorry. I don't want to touch the hem of his cloak of his garment you know what it's not even worth it some of y'all need to punch the person in front of you that's standing in front of your destiny 
Well, I don't want to make it about me. Quit being so demonically prideful. Maybe the reason we say I don't want to make it about me is because we think it's about us. If he's given you a word, stand on the word and step into it. All right, Joshua chapter 3. This gets good right here. Joshua chapter 3. God tells Joshua, I've given you the promised land. I don't care what word you've been given. It doesn't match that. Moses is dead. Joshua, wherever you go, you'll be successful. And Joshua's thinking, I never asked for this, and you've given me what? That's Joshua 1. Joshua 3, we got a problem. There is a raging river and enemies on the other side of the river. When God gives you a word, there will always be something for you to walk through and overcome when you're in the middle of that word. The wars didn't start until they got in the promised land. God's not giving you words to get you to a place where there are no war around you. He's getting you to a place where you trust him in the middle of it. and He defeats all your enemies for you. All of that takes one thing. You better not be scared. You better not be afraid. I'm just going to sit here until God makes a bridge appear over the Jordan River. And whenever he does, because he's given me the promise that the promised land, whenever he builds the bridge, then I will walk. Honestly, I call it Dr. Seuss theology. I don't know where we get so many of these ideologies. If you read the word and let the word define your life, it'll contradict most everything you've been taught. Well, because you just need to be quiet and be patient. God's building character in you and you need to wait. Okay, Simon Peter waited on the Lord and he built character by when he sank, he saved him. I would rather be sinking ongoing with Jesus on the water than reading books about other people getting out of the boat. I'm not, I'm not doing it. What's the Instagram y'all always, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, very uncomfortable word to say from stage, and went to the Jordan. Uh, By the way, early in the morning, if you're not a morning person, you need to change immediately because the Father is. And if you and God are uh, not, what's the word I used earlier? If, um, huh? If you're not compatible, the only thing that stinks about that is he never changes. So I have to, you say, well, I'm a late afternoon person. Well, you need to learn how to become a morning person. The ethos of Jesus was morning. All the great leaders in the world, they have a great first fruit in their morning. So here's the best way to become a morning person. You raise is awesome. Just become a morning person. Don't, you don't need to spend, you don't need to go to counseling. This is how God is. Become a morning person and give him first fruits and then watch him go to work in your life. Because when he calls you to something, there's principles that he gives you better abide by them. And one of them is first fruits. He wants the first fruit of your day. And you say, well, I'll get to that at noon. Well, then don't be surprised when he's using other people to do more powerful things because his principles don't change. Joshua didn't say, you might have a sleep in. I love taking teams to Haiti because we do intercession from 4 to 7 a.m. And some of the people are like, what do you mean 4 a.m.? Why can't we just pray at 7? Because Gary has revelation that the father loves the early morning. Do I wish he was that way? No, I don't. I've talked to God about this many times. I don't understand. I have no idea why he can't tell me something at midnight. It makes no sense to me. It doesn't. I don't mean that irreverently. It's just, I don't get it. He is the chattiest with me early in the morning. It is, he loves the morning. Joshua knew, hey, well, if I'm going to be successful, God said, if you'll do these things, you'll be successful. One of them is get up early. So he gets up early. Joshua and all the Israelites set out from there and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Why camp before they cross over? Because to the degree in which the word by God is given to you, will demand the level of consecration for that word. 
when God gave me vision that Nathan and already prophesied about where this network is going, he called me to a 90-day fast with him. Um, what I'm about to say, some people are going to say, well, you're just saying that because it's about you. I feel like I'm supposed to share this, and I didn't share it this morning. For the 90 days, 40 of those was a juice fast. Why am I doing that? Well, it's an example. This is how serious he is about the level of consecration for where we're going. This isn't a little game to me. Like this fast, out of the 90 days, 40 is when Jesus went to the desert. It's not because, it's, it's, it's for one reason. Because the level of assignment demands a level of consecration I've never given him before. They didn't just cross the river. Okay, let's go on the promised land. Hey, hey, hey. They camped there and they counted the cost. And it wasn't quick either. Verse 2. After three days, three days, three days of consecration. Why three days? Because God moves slow and there's a level of sobriety and seriousness. If God gives you something big in your life, you better match it with consecration. You want to know why? Because it intentionally places you into a place of weakness that shows off his strength. How about this? I'm, just, I'm, I'm not mad at all, but I'm just going to be blunt. Um, don't pray for weakness. Go a little bit without food. The word says when you fast, not if. Oh, God, I pray that you would just teach me weakness. Mm-mm, no, just go about three weeks without eating food. And you'll fill your journal up with the, the content that's in the word, and you never had to pray for it. A lot of what we pray for doesn't come through prayer. It comes through consecration. God, I pray you would teach me about increase. Mm-mm, no, you need to start sowing more. All right, after three days, the officers, and by the way, can we go back to the officers? God loves spiritual authority. He didn't say, whoever just feels like it, do what you want to do when you want to do. The officers went throughout the camp. Next verse, giving orders to the people. How dare other people give me an order? I love God because he contradicts everything that's normal on the earth. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. I love this. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Ah. I love it when God calls me to go to a place that I don't know how to do anything. If you can accomplish the vision over your life on your own and not ask for his wisdom, then it's not a God vision. God should give you something in your life that you don't even know where the first step is. Except, okay, I'm going to take a while and not eat and I need your wisdom. Father, I need you. Oh, I need you. Oh, I need you. I need you every day. You look up. Seven years has passed, all your enemies are defeated, and you fulfill the word, and you don't even know how you did it. The goal of my life is not to get clarity on how to fulfill what God's called me to do. The goal of my life is to intentionally place myself as close to his chest as I can. (laughs) Mother Teresa's last journal entry was full of doubt. She's a saint. People come and ask me for prayer all the time, and they say, will you pray for clarity for me? And I always say, no. I've had some really funny encounters at the altar, especially when I travel. Because people be emotional. Will you just pray for clarity? Mm-mm, but I will pray for your trust level. Because my clarity is the Father. Hey, uh, you, you don't, you've never been this way before. And also, if you don't mind, keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Don't go near it. I love the idea of friendship with God, but I also love the idea of fearing the Lord. He's not my hombre. Even now. So even though we're in the new covenant, I remind him 
and myself often. Matter of fact, I wrote this in my journal two days ago. This was my journal entry. I do not have a Nagaha journal. It's on my phone. You ready? Here it is. God is huge. I am tiny. That was my journal entry. I just had a moment with God. I was thinking about him. And I, I said, you're above my pay grade. You're too big. It's always like, well, he's, God's always in a good mood. And he loves you so much. The enemy has even uh, entered that message of friendship with God that a lot of people think he's just our hombre. He's a sovereign king that smoked Ananias and Sapphira. I should love him, but fear him at the same time. We're going to preach this in a couple of weeks. And I should at all times be like, you know what? I know that you love me. Just to remind you, not that you don't know, but I know you're a king and I licked the hand of my master. I licked the hand of my master because yes, I'm righteous, but I am also the lowest of the low. You are God. I am not. I'm tiny. You're big, big, huge God. There's a respect level before they go into the promised land. If you don't respect God on that level, then when you start getting your victories, you'll be tempted to think that you are the reason those victories are coming. An intentional posture of telling how big he is, you know you can't defeat parasites, hivocytes, and all this stuff. This is humility. And I love it because God loves us, but every once in a while, he will remind you he's in charge. You're not. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody by show of hands? Next verse. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves tomorrow for the Lord will do amazing things among you. This is what made Joshua great. He gave God credit for victories even before the victories came. If I ever think that I can get credit for any breakthrough in my life, I'm in a position of Saul and not David. God opposed Saul, crushed him, and he elevated David. You want to know why? David said, I can't kill Goliath, but how dare you defy the name of my God? And he threw the rock in the power of God, not himself. Never lean on our own strength, ever, not one time. And when people come to give you praise for your breakthrough because your business has exploded, send it right back to him. I, I love the kid, uh, the Alabama's quarterback, when they interviewed him after the game. He said he was praying in tongues on the sideline. <laughs> and this kid is basically like, I don't even know how this has happened. You know what God will do? God will oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. I'm talking about both parties being inside of Christ. I cannot wait for this series in a few weeks after First Fruits. This hombre buddy Christ message, oh, ooh, it is so demonic. It is so demonic. It's so demonic. It, it, what's true is, God, I'm only one breath away from not even being here. We're, you're, you're nothing. But because of him, you're something. And so it's, it's this paradoxical view of like, I can't do anything. And he says, oh, yes, you can, you valiant warrior. And you're like, which is it? And he says, it's both. My name's Paradox. Get to know me. <laughs> Verse 6, Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. You will never have a victory that is sustainable if he doesn't go before you. So the goal of my life is to see where grace is and walk towards that. Keep the ark in front. Keep the cloud in front. Instead, what most people do is say, God, I have an idea. Do you mind blessing this idea? Or we step out of a boat where Jesus is not on the water and then wonder why the blessing's not there. The blessing only comes when my faith is in the grace. It's not the message of faith and faith. If I put faith in my faith, it would be this, like this. It would be like me saying, you know what? I am such a passionate Vanderbilt Commodore fan that I believe with my whole heart I'm putting all my faith that Vanderbilt will win the national championship next year. My faith is only as powerful as what my faith is in. 
It's not faith. It's faith in grace. It's faith in Jesus. Therefore, if Jesus says, I am turning you into this season from a person of doubt to a person of great hope, and you don't believe it, just believe the word that he gave you and then step towards that word. You know the best way to learn how to prophesy? Start prophesying over people. You know the best way to learn the stock market? Put $1,000 of your own money into it. You want to learn how to write a book? You ready? This is deep. Go write a book. You want to know how to get out of the boat? This is really deep. You got to get out of the boat. We become so passive, we just want to build strong character. And we're going to wait on the Lord, brother. No, you're going to find the Jordan River that's between you and your promise. And then this is going to happen. It's going to rage towards you. I'm making you a promise. It will rage. Watch this. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel. If God wants to exalt you in this season, just let him. Because the highest form of pride is is, uh, false humility. Oh, it's not about me. If God says that it's your time for your business to thrive or whatever you're putting your hand to and he wants to exalt you, then with humility say, okay. It's the paradox of I'm bowed down and if you want to raise me, well then, okay. The answer to sonship and daughtership is simply this, yes. Joshua, I want to make your name great. Well, Lord, it's not about me. Joshua, stop. The reason you're saying that is you think it is about you. The answer is, okay. Zechariah said, Mm-mm, I don't believe this about Elizabeth. Mary said, let it be done to me according to your word. I'll carry you in my belly. Okay. The answer is yes. There's only one answer. How do you know if you're friends with God? Obedience. That's it. Radical obedience. And Joshua says, all right, tell the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go in and stand in the river. I love this because right now you're thinking Thomas Kincaid painting. A little tiny river, a brook, some little deer, weighs about 90 pounds, is just licking it. There's angels and they're taking naps and it's so serene. This was harvest season. This river was raging harder than a level five river in Colorado. Step in there and you'll die. It's whipping. And God said, I tell you what, we're going to do it my way or the highway. Joshua, step into the river and then you can cross. Most people pray for the river to stop rushing and then they'll step in. And that's why the word that was given to them will go to their daughter. Well, but it's just not wisdom. I think a lot of what we call wisdom, heaven calls unbelief. And heaven um, associates unbelief with actually witchcraft. Well, it's just not wise to step into a raging river. Okay, well, the problem is that's what God said. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go in and stand in the river. I love that God did not put any descriptors of how it was raging because he doesn't see what we see. What we call raging, he calls serene. His Thomas Kincaid paintings are cyclones. I'm serious. That's why the Lord is like, hey, can you wake him up? We're about to die. It's 16 foot waves and we're drowning and he's asleep. The father is actually very comfortable in chaos because he's very secure in himself. And see, chaos is not the determiner of of whether or not I'm falling apart. It's who I am inside of me in the middle of the chaos. Some people are fine in chaos. Some people fall apart in chaos. If you're connected to the vine, then when the wind whips, it doesn't touch his oak tree. It's when I get away from that tree where I'm like, I can't do this, I can't do this. God doesn't even describe the raging water. Hey, uh, step in the Kincaid painting. Step into it, Joshua. They get there, and then this is what happens. Um, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God, because I know y'all can hear the river. And you can literally hear it. 
This is how you will know that the living God is among you, that he will certainly drive out all those people. Let's go to verse 11. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. That's our promise. When God gives you a word, he's going ahead of you anyway. And what he will do is he will conceal your ability to see him for a while to see if you really trust that. I'm blessing myself. Now then, choose 12 men, foreshadowing of disciples from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Not only did God say it, now Joshua has said it. When God gives a word to a people group and the ordained leader now confesses it, that's time for breakthrough. Until the leader confesses what God has said, the leader can actually bless or curse the people group he's leading. It's not just God's word. It was the leader's word that says, I agree with it. There was zero evidence in the natural that what Joshua said was true because the waters were still raging. Joshua prophesied what God had said. Until you can speak into existence what you have already seen and God has shown you, it's not going to manifest and it's not because God is holding out on you. If God wants to bless the book that I just wrote and bless a lot of people on all seven continents, but I think it's humility to be quiet about it, I'm contradicting the word that God gave over the book that I wrote. Until I agree with it and profess it, it won't happen. You say, well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Ephesians 2.8. I'm talking about the entire Bible. If Noah doesn't build the boat, the boat doesn't get built. If Esther doesn't go to Xerxes, the word never comes to pass. So many of you have been given huge words, but you don't cooperate with the word given and then blame God for why it didn't manifest. It's because we're opposing the principles that he set before the foundations of the earth. Right now, so many of you wonder why you're not being blessed financially. It's because you walk in a high level of bitterness. You bring your gift to the altar and God says, I don't want your money. Go get it right with those you're offended with. Well, I'm going to come to Bridgeway every once in a while. I'm going to call it my home, but the first fruits thing, I'm not a big believer. And everyone else gets blessed around you because you oppose the principle of God. If you don't step into that river, it's not going to stop raging. That's the way that he set up. And this is the way he says. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. I love the word yet. God is a person of yet. The natural says, yet I say. Some of you have been given enormous words over your life. They will not come to manifest until you step towards them. That's not to hurt anybody in here. It's to encourage you that his principles never lie. And so if there's a Jordan between you and what he's spoken over you, for the first time in your life, perhaps today, quit praying about the water to stop and step into it. Father, I thank you for this hard word, this challenging word. I thank you that Bridgeway is a place where we would just rather wrestle with truth that makes us uncomfortable than create another latte factory and call it church and make everybody just so comfortable. I pray that you you would, in a holy way, make us uncomfortable for growth. I bless this house in this season with an enormous level of growth spiritually. May we grow. May we never settle for milk around here, but may we settle for meat. We just want you. We want your full truth. Father, I ask that you give us the courage to step into our raging rivers. Um, I'm going to ask our prayer service to come forward. And as they come forward, if there is a Jordan River between you, metaphorically, 
in the word that God has spoken over to you and you know he's calling you to step into it, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. I'm going to speak a blessing over you. If there's something he's asking you to step into that you haven't, can you just open up your hand like a kid and I'm going to pray for you? Father, I thank you for those that are standing and I ask that you just give them such enormous courage. I bless you as a father of this house with the courage of Jesus. May you be courageous as a lion in this season. If you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray for you. We pray that you have just a phenomenal week, and God bless you.